Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're back. It's Brendan here with Mark vetgurus.com and it is the weekend in 21st of December and we're back in a big way or I'm back in a big way Mark as as you know and our listeners may not know or remember I've been on a little holiday Mark so I'm back. It's good to have you back Brendan too I've been here slaving away in your absence seeing all the clients answering all the phone calls and it's just good to have you back my friend. Thank you. Well, I had my, well, I was going to say little trip, but it was a little bit more than a little trip. It was a big trip to India and we went there for about two and a half weeks and back a couple of days ago and I was still still a little bit um, unsettled um, travelling between the continents. Um, but it was amazing, Mark. It was fantastic. We had a great time. The whole family went and, he, and the girls there, so we had a, had a wonderful time. And, uh, yeah, lots of stories, and um, you'll probably all get bored with my India stories over the next few weeks or months <laughs> as I talk about them. It, it started off a little bit um, a little bit um, poorly, Mark, actually. I haven't told you this story, but um, it was a bit like um, um, vacation with the um, Griswolds, I think, um, if, if you know those sorts of um, movies, Mark, the old... Um, European vacation, etc., type movies because we were on the plane there. We took a plane from here, Melbourne, here in um, southern Australia to Singapore, and then the transfer was transit was about two hours or so in Singapore, and then off to Delhi, which is where we were sort of based for, which is northern India for most of our trip. And um, um, Annie, my dear wife, had a bit of a headache um, going into the trip because um, we were running around trying to get things ready before we left. And um, she ended up coming down with one of her migraines um, a day or so before the trip. So she had a migraine while she's on the plane, which was which wasn't much fun. Um, and Sophie, who has been um, finishing her last year of school in here um, in Australia, and she did very well. Um, we just got her results. Um, she developed a bit of a sore throat um, and a really bad sore throat actually and and um, she struggles a little bit when she gets sick old safe um, and she falls in a bit of a heap so I had one who was had a migraine on the plane had Sophie had a the sore throat and was um, um, a bit of a misery guts um, for the first um, few days or so and it wasn't a short plane trip it wasn't super long as we're used to here in Australia um, so one one to the Singapore leg was eight hours and the um, Delhi leg was about six six and a half hours um, and by the time we got on the second plane, um, everybody was feeling a little bit tense and a little bit stressed out. And then Jane um, Jane developed a bit of um, – she ate something on the first leg, um, and I won't, won't say which airline it was that disagreed with her, so she had uh, vomited. So I had one vomiting, one with a migraine, <laughs> and one with a sore throat. <laughs> so I thought, here we go, this is going to be a fun holiday with us. <laughs> and, um, and when we got to um, – India, and we went through um, we went through the um, um, customs there in India, which was um, quite an interesting experience there. The public service um, in India, um, they go at their own pace, 
So it took us a fair while to get through customs and we were picked up by a tour guide who was a local tour guide I booked who, who actually lives in Delhi and um, he picked us up and took us to our to, to our hotel and um, by the time we got there it was about local time, I think it was about 3am in the morning and we'd been travelling for probably 22 to 25 hours and um, three of us been sick Um we weren't looking crash hot, and yet he was really excited to see us, and he wanted a group photo with us all um, for his, you know, for his little website. So I hate to hate to think what that's going to be looking like. Yeah, um, and then the next morning I unpacked my case, and you know, this, this is the end of the um, um, disasters we had, and I unpacked my cameras, Mark, and my lens lenses, and um, my body of my camera would not turn on, so my camera was wrecked during the flight as well. And um, I think it was just poorly handled. I I'd, I'd, I'd usually take my camera body on carry-on, but I did pad it very well and put it in a camera-specific um, um, padding um, case yeah, in, in the checked luggage, but um, it just would not turn on. So I arrived in India, and I, the thing I was most looking forward to was taking photographs, and um, my camera wasn't working. So I spent the first day and a half looking for a camera, and we ended up... I ended up buying an updated model of the Olympus camera I have and um, use that for the rest of the trip and um, all's good. And the girls rapidly recovered from all their little illnesses and um, the rest of the trip was fantastic. But, yeah, the start was <laughs> a little bit rocky there, Mark, a little bit rocky. But, yeah, India, fantastic place, beautiful people. Um, you know, we didn't meet any person that we didn't um didn't um, get on with um, um, whether they were um, the very poor or, or the very rich, and that it's a real interesting country. Mark, there with all the and we spoke off air about this as lots of different um, um, big differences with everything from from the from the abject poverty that I think twenty percent of India population is in poverty, and they have a population of one point three four billion with a B, uh, and Delhi itself I think has 20 to 21 million people and all of Australia has 24 million. So, um, you know, Delhi almost has the entire population of Australia and and yet two, I looked at on the ge- geographically two Indias would fit within the Australian continent, Mark. Um, so, yeah, 1.34 billion people there. So we did see a fair number of people there, probably not 1.34 billion there, but um, there's lots of people everywhere. I noticed um, that but- um, you sent me a few photos and and those photos captured some of the characters. It just struck me that um, that pretty much everywhere you looked there was um, um, there was someone with a face that told a story. Yes, well, I I thoroughly enjoyed taking some portrait shots there, and um, you know, I was respectful in making sure I asked everybody that I wanted to take a picture of, and did have a few people, especially in the touristy areas, and uh, and we did go in a reasonable number of touristy areas to see the main attractions, but we also went to areas where there wasn't many <clears throat> tourists at all, um, apart from Indian tourists, um, locals travelling around their country. Um, and, um, yeah, everybody was quite good with allowing me to take pictures, and if they didn't want to, I didn't take them. Some people, in, especially in the tourist areas, wanted wanted a small 
you know payment of money and and they the tour guides um suggested um or the tour organizer um suggested that we don't don't tip people and encourage that that process and just don't take photos of people who didn't want photos taken um but yeah it was amazing how many conversations that we we started up with people where i saw a really interesting face and and i wanted to take their picture and we chatted to them and one of the pictures i did send you mark of a of a of a, of a man with an amazing beard and, and character-filled face. Um, he, we started chatting to him. He was just on the street corner, um, and his his um, daughter lives in Melbourne um, and emigrated to Melbourne is doing a course here in Melbourne. So it's amazing you travel across the other side of the world or halfway across the world and you meet somebody who um, who, who um, knows the local town or city you come from. So, yeah, so we had a good chat to him. But, no, lots of good photos and lots of, I think, um, lots of bad photos as well, um, and we had a great time. So yeah, I'll I might tell you a couple of the other funny stories that we uh, that we had during our travels in in future podcasts, Mark, um, and um, something for for listeners to um, fall asleep over. And speaking of listeners, we always enjoy our emails we get from listeners, and we've had a few over the last week or two um, that we haven't had a chance to reply to. So we'll try and reply to them over the coming weeks and we also are planning a christmas special so we will have a special edition that will come out on christmas day the 25th of december which will include a bit of a montage of bloopers mark that i've kept from good on you yourself and me so i'm going to cut and paste them together over the next few days so i <laughs> I think it will be quite um, amusing listening to those. So we'll, we'll, we'll tack them on the end of the um, podcast for next week or Christmas Day podcast. So try not to skip forward um, or, or skip the end of our podcast because you'll get this little list of the or, of the bloopers that we've done over the last um, last twelve months or so, isn't it, Mark? Just over twelve months 12 that we've been months. going. Brendan, I've yes. got I've, um, just before we move into our um, our. Uh, uh, News. News. I wanted just quickly to apologise to you for at the conference, at the dinner, you made an announcement and I got up in retort in response to your announcement and I didn't realise at the time, in the typical way that I do public speaking, I had a great start, but the rest of the... Uh, the response to your announcement sort of faded away into a bit of jibber-jabber. Um, and I also was badly sunburned that day because we'd been out bird watching. So it actually looked like I'd um, been drinking heavily and got up to respond to you. So I just wanted to, in a formal place, apologise for that appearance and emphasise that my, my response to your announcement was sincere and heartfelt and not associated with the alcohol I'd consumed. <laughs> It was it was very much appreciated, Mark. And um, yes, you did look um, very red uh, compared with everybody else in the room. And um, I, I did put it down to the sunburn. And unfortunately, most of the people in the room didn't realise you'd been out on the beach most of that day trying to photograph birds. And um, they were looking at you quite quizzically. Um, so yes, it was um, very amusing, Mark. It was very amusing, but it was very heartfelt. Um, um, impromptu speech you made there so yeah thank you very much um for that yes so apology accepted <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to jump into the first news story mark um yes oh, oh no no jump back to our listeners yeah so if you want to support <laughs> us go on to patreon.com 
or probably easier if you don't know how to spell the Patreon, is to go to vetgurus.com and look at our show notes and also which link to all the articles that we have. But also you can support us by going on to help us, um, the help us or support page. And there's a few different ways you can help support pay for the cost of our of our ongoing podcast mark but i'm going to jump into the first one and it's making um, i was very relaxed in india as you as you mentioned with the photos we the whole family with the photos i sent you we yeah we were feeling very relaxed and it's been a while since i've had an actual holiday mark um so it was great um and i was very relaxed but now i'm angry mark i'm back and angry because this first one is that and, and i'm a bit depressed about this too and this is an article that was well, Mother Nature Network, our usual um, suppo- um, um, suppository of um, information, um, and it is about chickens, Mark, and it is the title of the story is that the future archaeologists will remember us by the chicken bones we left behind. I know, um, Because of the... N- yes. I was going to say, they, they call this age um, currently the Anthropocene, you know, the age of the human effect on the planet, but I think it may well end up being being given the archaeologists may well give it another name because of this exact feature yes and that's because of the number of birds that are consumed now we're talking about the mainly broiler chickens um so we have one species humans that are plowing through 66 billion 66 billion with a b chickens every year are being consumed and because of that, someday this article proposes, and it was an article from the Royal Society of Open Science um, that was written this particular paper. Someday when humans vacate this planet, the dominant life form that inherits it will doubtless dig up the fossils of all these chicken bones, Mark, and future archaeologists will declare, ah, yes, the chicken bone people. <laughs> um, so the age of the chicken. Um, so The poultry uh, team. The reason why... Yeah, the poultry scene, exactly. And it makes me a little bit depressed because, yeah, when you look at the um, – and, and it makes me feel a bit guilty because one of the – I was – as you probably know and a lot of our listeners will know, a, a lot of um, a lot of the population in India are vegetarians um, by, by religious um, choice but also by by um, choice with, 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 um, with their um, economic situation as well um, and it's probably the best best way to go environmentally as we've spoken about before but I must admit during my visit to India um, I, I loved the Indian food and it was fantastic I was eating naan bread and all the curries every day um, one of my favorite dishes there was um, butter chicken <laughs> that I was having there so I feel a bit guilty because um, you know um, I don't think we should be, really be eating um, these these broiler chickens considering the way they're the way they're they're raised, you know, in in the typical uh, mass market, um, you know, um, cage um, farming that's that's still done worldwide, and and I do have a few photos, Mark, of of the transport of some of these chickens uh, when we were on one of our car rides across um, northern India, um, and it wasn't any different than I think it is in in a lot of places in the world. These you know thousands of chickens packed into this little truck. And it wasn't a particularly mild day, so they would have certainly been suffering and I don't know how many would have been dead by the time they got to their place where they were going to be slaughtered anyway. But, um, yeah, so so it makes me a little bit angry that we're going to be known as the, the age of the um, age of the chicken bone and also um, 
the fact that we're still consuming so many chickens and it makes me feel guilty that I do that personally I do consume and contribute to the problem mark so that's my first story what is your first story my first story is well once again I can't rise to your level of um of um, anger just yet. I'm sort of a bit deflated and your chicken story hasn't done anything to make me feel any better. So I'm a bit empty. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm angry, but disappointed. This one's led me to be disappointed, Brendan. This is a story um, about a um, edict from the, um, from the uh, Chinese government, which banned um rhinoceros horn medicines in 1993, a ban that's been there in, since 1993. And just in the last few weeks, there's been the announcement that um, the ban will be overturned and China will, the Chinese government will be reopening the um, nation's domestic rhino horn, tra- rhino horn trade. Now, the article in question does suggest, and we'll post the link on our um, our uh, page, but it does suggest that, you know, is this a disaster or an opportunity? The Chinese government is talking about, you know, using DNA technology to ensure that only uh, rhino horn from farmed, sustainably farmed and humanely harvested uh, live animals that doesn't compromise their life will be used. But, um, Crikey's, we know what happens when uh, assurances for sustainably and humanely harvested products actually gets to the real world. Um, those assurances don't necessarily count for very much, and um, and and I am just really worried that um, that these um, these animals will this will be the death knell for them we've already had one uh, species go extinct one of the rhino species um and i can see um the illegal trade complementing the legal trade um and i do not see um with animals as difficult to care for and breed as these guys are i cannot see a you know, a massive farm industry growing up that will service the the demand. And I think this rings the death knell for those animals in the wild, unfortunately. It um, makes me feel a little bit sad and empty, Brendan. Yes. I don't know what to add to that story. um, (laughs) I don't even know why I brought that up. Well, yeah, some very nice photos um, of Rhino. um, and horns without rhino attached, unfortunately, um, in that particular article. That was from theconversation.com, and they do produce some very good topical articles um, that um, make you think. Um, and, yeah, it makes me a bit sad as well, Mark. Um, well, I'm going to go on to something that, that may make some people or one particular group of um, <laughs> humanity um, happier, Mark, and that is that advanced animal societies may thrive without males. And this is a report from, where was it? It was from findings published in BMC Biology showed that six of ten termite populations scrutinised by the researchers in Japan were entirely comprised of asexual females. And the queen or queens contained no sperm in their sperm storage organ and their eggs remained unfertilized and there was no significant difference in the hatching rates of unfertilized eggs and that of fertilized eggs among mixed sex termite populations. These are these, so, these are parthenogenetic termites. Yeah, 
Yeah, so the, the results demonstrated that males are not essential for the maintenance of animal societies. Well, I think you and I both know that's true. <laughs> Mark, Mark, <laughs> um, yeah, in which they previously played an active role. Um, so the occasional development of unfertilized eggs in mixed sex colonies suggested asexual female populations may have evolved from their mixed sex counterparts. So, yes, so while it is possible some of the 276 termite species in Australia, among the most primitive and ecological diverse in the world, the article says, reproduce asexually, further research is required to determine if this is the case. So loss of males from mixed-sex societies in termites was co-written by researchers from the Laboratory of Insect Ecology at Kyoto University. So quite a quirky little piece and, um, yeah, maybe portent of things to come mark um who knows what's going to be happening in a few thousands or tens of thousands of years there may not be any males left i think Brendan, and, uh, that there's been that may be a good thing i think there's been an increasing number of um species across the animal kingdom that have been you know gradually as we've learned more about them um that there are parthenogenetic populations populations of female only animals um and it is interesting that um that uh, despite the absence of um, genetic variability and change that sexual reproduction is supposed to produce, these asexual populations seem to thrive. Um, there's a, a um, binos gecko, I think, is one. There's a, quite a few species. Yes, yes. There are you is. feeling a bit? No. Are you feeling a bit? Um, you know, like the world inadequate. Yeah, in we always feel inadequate. I was thinking more expendable. <laughs> yeah, or well, having spent. Just over two weeks in India, um, I'm certainly feeling a bit insignificant in the larger um, number of things. But um, no, you know, um, I I think, um, yeah, no, I'm just me. <laughs> and um, we plug away, don't we, Mark? Um, yeah, and um, maybe I am expendable. But if that's the case, that's the case. I'll live with it, Mark. <laughs> and other people will live without it because they won't exactly. need me. So there you go. Well, so my last, what's your final story? My last story um, is is once again it's a um, it's a touch quirky, but also I suppose this is, I'm starting to rise in anger. Um, this is an inside look at it's a National Geographic article. It's an inside look at the illegal market for tarantulas. Now, um, there's a couple of dynamics happening in this article. The first one is um, that uh, it certainly seems to be the case that um, uh, large, hairy spiders are becoming increasingly popular as, um, as pets, that more and more people are interested in um, owning and caring for these animals. And at the same time... Um, there seems to be an increase in the number of species. So where certain populations were sort of um, all lumped together because of their similarities, now that um, more research has been done and maybe some genetics, there, there's many species which um, which may only live on you know one hillock or uh, one small uh, part of the uh, of of the jungle. So as they become more popular and they're um, there, um, particularly as more species are discovered that have those outstanding colours, that some of them are 
like literally unreal the 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 blues and reds and pinks that some of them carry um then they're starting to be threatened in the wildlife and of course being spiders they they don't immediately attract the um level of protection that others do many nations um have bans or require special permits for export um, but there's often not uh, not a record of um, you know uh, birds and reptiles and mammals all are, are uh, restricted in Australia and you have to have a license to hold them. But you don't have to have a license to hold our native um, tarantulas. Um, the exotic ones are are not here, um, and so people don't um, don't keep those, and they are illegal if anyone sneaks them into the country. Um, but still, they're quite popular, Brendan. We see them at work. Um, so it is a little bit of a worry that these beautiful um, uh, uh, creatures of the wet forest and jungle, um, that um, their popularity is quite possibly going to be a bit of their undoing, Brendan. They are... I was just reading in the article here that um, poaching literally took off in the 1970s, um, and that's roughly when people became increasingly interested in them. And even though some aficionados, some people who keep them, actually breed them, um, they're really, really hard work to breed, and some of the more threatened species... Um, they they have not been bred in captivity, and so all the individuals that are kept by people have been caught from the wild. And and people do weird things to them, stuff them in Nintendo cartridges or hide them in drinking straws to uh, to transfer them. And, of course, the spiderlings, are, you know, they might only be um, 5 or 10 millimetres across, so they can be snuck in um, and, uh, and smuggled across countries um, with some, you know, without much trouble. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, it's a, um, there was even just, they'd been, there was one example where um, 17 babies were in um, star at the bottom of styrofoam cups um, that had been taped together. And, uh, and so they can survive in small places and it can be very hard for customs people to find them, Brendan. Yes. And, the amount they can get for some of these species, similar to what happens with, I think, a lot of the eggs, um, the reptiles and birds, but also reptiles that are smuggled as well. They can be quite easily smuggled because they can just package them up or tape them up and hide them in various places um, quite easily, like like these spiders, and um, manage to smuggle them in and out of countries um, a lot more readily than some of the other species that are, that are illegally traded and have been fortunate or unfortunate probably a bit of both to to see some of this with the the dealings i've had to um help out with some of the 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 confiscated animals um with the quarantine services here in victoria mark and and you know the ingenuity of some of these people the way they 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 tape tape up these animals to to smuggle them and the way they package them to try and um sneak them through the detection um is is quite amazing but um, and they're often yeah quite, quite some long-lived animals too brendan they're they're not unheard yes. of to reach sort of 30 years of age and the females often don't breed until they're in their second or third um decade of life and so um knocking off those breeding individuals from populations um has a profound effect on the wild population Absolutely, and you know it's all a numbers game, isn't it? With the, with the, a lot ever with most of this illegal um, um, 
animal trade um, and reading through that article there you're um, $40,000 worth of spiders and insects and other creepy crawlies were stolen from the Philadelphia Insectarium and Butterfly Pavilion in August. Um, and also earlier that month, a man in Singapore was fined $12,800, which probably wasn't that much considering what he may have got for the animals, um, that he illegally kept 92 tarantulas, Mark, in his home and we was trying to smuggle six more stuffed in plastic containers in the backseat of his car into Singapore from Malaysia. Um, so, yeah, where there's a will, there's a way and, and certainly where there's money um, involved, um, you know, it will continue. So all you can try and do is increase the fines i suppose and increase the, the monitoring um, and detection methods for this and ideally education but i think education is not going to be listened to by the people who are involved with a lot of this illegal trade regardless of what species involved mark so yeah it is a bit depressing so you've brought two nice um, nicely depressing articles <laughs> That's to okay. me we're going to have a christmas like, special next and we will be up we will and that, that will be fun that will be fun, and I'll um, I'll have to have a little bit of a little bit of an ale while we're while we're talking about um, what's happened over the year, Mark. Um, before we show our little blooper reel, or play our blooper reel. So, well, our main topic this week, Mark, is we. I think we've decided we're just going to chat about what happened with the conference that was just on a few weeks ago, and that's the unusual pet and avian veterinarians group here in Australia, UPAV had their annual conference in South Australia in the capital there, Adelaide, Mark, and you and I both attended um, the conference and I thought it was, a, as usual, a great conference and everybody had a really good time, but we're going to chat a little bit about some of the papers that were presented there and, um, as usual, very high high quality with those papers there, Mark, and um, I think you've picked out a few that you'd like to chat to me about and, and um, let the um, listeners know about and... Um, I think you can potentially access some um, the content of these papers. Um, you don't necessarily have to be a UPAV member, I don't think, because eventually we do put these conference proceedings up on VIN. Um, we have a bit of arrangement with VIN over the years. They're a supporter of, of the Unusual Pet Group here in Australia. And um, in return, we um, provide the proceedings um, for publication in VIN, and that will happen in the future. Um, I'll continue to, um, and we'll have our conference proceedings up there at some stage. It may be a few months before it gets there, but um, hopefully it'll be up on VIN um, as, as previous years has been. So what's the first one you want to chat well, about? I was just going to, before I talk about the specific paper, I just wanted to highlight what um, what an excellent conference it was. And uh, you and I visited Venice last year to um, to uh, attend eye care. And um, in the usual way of Australians, I was I was a bit overawed with the whole travelling overseas and um, listening to those speakers in Europe. But um, once we'd attended the conference, I I. I was I returned to Australia much more confident, and I felt that um, it was I was really um, quite proud of the the um, the standard of presentation at uh, the UPAV conference. They it was really hard to pick out individual papers, and they did span the range of things from uh, relatively beginner topics to more complex um, 
issues that maybe more experienced pr- practitioners of uh, exotic and avian pets would come across. Um, and there was also a bit of fun involved as well, which um, may not come across as clearly in the proceedings, but um, if you were there, you would have had a blast at a couple of the uh, of, at a couple of the presentations. And I'm sure you'll want to talk about um, uh, um, well. We can talk about Tristan's presentation, I suppose. Um, uh, the, what, the, what was the toady this year, Brendan? Oh, you've gone. Again, you've switched off. You talk about having a drink at the Christmas yes. one. So I know you're <laughs> switching off switching off your mic. Gulping I am switching off. <laughs> no, I'm gulping. I've got two, two, um, two <laughs> beverages in front of me. One of them is finished and it is a coffee, Mark, because – of all the um, things I loved in India, one of them was not coffee because they do not do coffee at all. Um, they do chai, which is their variation of tea, and, and obviously a lot of the famous teas are from India or the Darjeeling and other teas. Um, but no, um, they do not do good coffee. So I made myself a pretty strong coffee here at home, and um, I'm just enjoying that. And also I have a glass of water. Mark, um, so that's all I've had. I've had no alcoholic beverage As at all. Should. It might be a bit of the, it may be a little bit of the jet lag um, that's kicking in there, Mark. So um, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what I it did, is. I did um, want to mention, so, Brendan, that um, uh, Lauren Powers did the uh, was the keynote speaker this year, and she always she also did the the uh, keynote speaker role for the AAVAC conference, which fired straight after. She was an outstanding present presenter. Um, she uh, did an excellent job of covering um, numerous topics. She brought um, a real cutting edge uh, up to date. She'd done her research. Um, she'd also <laughs> done her research on how these topics fitted into the Australian context, which is not always something that our keynote speakers from overseas do easily. Um, and I, I just um, can't... Uh, uh, speak highly enough personally of Lauren and um, and the presentation she did. I thought it was a real, um, you know, cherry on the top of the cake that was the UPAV conference. Yes, Lauren was excellent, and um, I think she loved every every minute of it. Um, that her stay, and she came over with her her wonderful husband Mike, who I, I, I um, managed to um, get to know a tiny bit as well. And yeah, they, they were great people, and um, I think they went back to the US with very fond memories of their trip. Mark, I think um, I think Lauren said it was the it. best overseas trip she'd ever had. Oh, fantastic! Um, I, I think she'd be exhausted by the end of it because she was um, hammered pretty hard with um, the number of presentations she had to had to give, but. Um, she was flown out to Australia by the by the conference committee and um, and put up for free, etc. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm sure um, if somebody offered me the same, I'd, I'd be saying yes to do the do the equivalent, which I I've been lucky enough to do um, a couple of times in the past. Um, so yeah, no, she was fantastic and um, excellent standard of, of her presentations and a really great breadth of topics that she that she presented on so you did so getting back to to what you um briefly um touched on before i went off on my rant about the um coffee or lack thereof in india mark um i think you mentioned um tristan's um presentation so tristan rich is a very good friend of both of us um he gave a presentation on what was really a, a travel log wasn't it mark the title was, um, it the was title, i can read you the title right now 
um, Alfaxan IM as a GA agent in Wolf Snakes was the title, but um, much to Tristan's credit, that's not where it stopped, Brendan. No, that's right. He he gave a bit of a travelogue of his adventures in um, on Christmas Island, um, which is an Australian territory, which is a long way from Australia, um, northwest of Australia, and um, he gave a, a fantastic summary of the history of a little bit of the history of Christmas Island and um, his um, adventures over there. Um, he spent a reasonable amount of time there. Um, and as part of that, he did these um, um, anesthesia of these uh, wolf snakes to implant radio transmitters to track them. But a fantastic presentation, very dry humour, and um, it won him the Toady Award, which is our award for the most entertaining and informative presentation, Mark, um, that we have every every year. And uh, a lot of listeners will not have heard of this award. It's a very, very famous award, isn't it, Mark? Um, and we've had this award going for about 15 years Um and it's voted by the um, by the delegates um, who um, wins that award. And Tristan won it um, hands down. He won it very very easily. Um, and the second place getter was way behind as far as the number of votes. And um, the award and the toady, the actual award is a is a little plaque stating that you've won the award and what year it was, and also a novelty item. And it's called the Toady Award because the original very first year it was presented, it was a a stuffed cane toad um, was the award, which was holding a holding a bottle of whiskey. Um, and ever since then, we've called it the Toady Award, even though it's ended up being all sorts of um, novelty sort of prizes and and trinkets. Um, including um, um, a kangaroo scrotum bottle opener, um, a kangaroo paw back scratcher. Um, and this year's one was one by um, one by um, Tristan, as we mentioned, and, and it was a chameleon t- um, tape dispenser, wasn't it, Mark? Um, and you know this um, little award intimately because I handed it to you with some super glue um, the night before the award was presented. And you spent a bit of time trying to glue the Toady Award to the base plate with the um, with the little plaque. It's on the very there. it's um, the very so, closest um, I've ever gotten to a Toady Award, Brendan. <laughs> well, you need to present, Mark. <laughs> you need to present and, more and, often. Um, I mean, there was two audience. other things I was going to talk about in Tristan's presentation. Um, he certainly, I wanted to mention that um, that he's going to be the subject of. Uh, we did manage to interview him after his world famous win, um, and uh, and he will be the subject of one of our future um, uh, um, podcasts. Um, but also, he really. He said to me before the the presentation that he was going to focus on boobies and crabs, and I had a little bit of a worry where, where the whole story was going until I realised that he was talking about those seabirds and then the species of crabs on Christmas Island. It's got to be a, a um, you know a, a crustacean fancier's paradise. The land crabs were everywhere, and those um, red ones that formed massive seas of crabs and the uh, and the um, and the robber crabs, the coconut crabs, um, I was very impressed with uh, uh, with those photographs. Yeah, some fantastic photographs, but also just just the way he told the story. It started off very very serious, and as he as he sort of got into gear there, it um, became funnier and funnier, and everybody was 
wrapped in attention um, with his presentation. So a well-deserved win, Mark. Um, one of the other presentations I'd like to um, point out, and they were all great, as we mentioned, was the one by Micah, Micah Coles, who's the um, technical um, vet um, for um, for specialised animal nutrition, sorry, for um, what's the parent company again? Uh, Oxbow um, in, in the United Oxbow, States. Don't forget one of our major sponsors. One of our sponsors. <laughs> Excuse me, I'll, co- I'll cough here um, without – I was about to put myself on mute. Oh, hang on, I will. If you want to give a plug, I will. Phone, I, I'll I do want to um, – I wanted to also mention uh, Micah's presentation, which was a, a detailed analysis of, uh, um, of nutrition as it applied to um, – uh, um, small mammals, particularly rabbits, GIT function. Um, I was particularly fascinated by um, the the uh, you know the analysis, the collection of literature, the reference material with respect to um, probiotics, um, and particularly because the gut flora of um, you know our rabbits in particular, but also guinea pigs, and for that matter, many of the herbivores, including koalas, um, is the the gut function is critically dependent on the gut flora, the bacteria that live in the gut, and um, and so there's often been this argument that probiotics of some sort would be of benefit, but um, it's all been anecdotal stuff, and Micah just uh, cast it into crystal clear uh, definition that there's literally. Uh, no hard scientific evidence to support the use of these probiotics in these species and that there are probably other ways for us to maximise GIT function in our small mammals. It was an excellent presentation, Brendan. Yes, and I, th- and I think it sort of highlights that, that the importance of the, uh, the basic science that, that still needs to be done with a lot of our unusual pet species and this in this case it's looking at the actual gut Flora, what is there and what isn't there in the in the apparently normal pet rabbit? So yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one, and he's a a very confident and and, and competent speaker as well. So it was great to um, see Micah there, and and Micah came across too as, as one of the representatives for the Association of Exotic Mammal Veterinarians, and um, that we deliberately have developed an association with the UPAV and and AEMV. Um, I wanted to have ongoing relationship where where we um, promote each other's conferences so we have um, the conference here in Australia promoted um, overseas so we get more overseas delegates and we certainly did have a few more overseas delegates from the USA um, come in um, to Australia than we often do and, and vice versa um, that that um, we will promote the AEMV conferences when they're in the states and, and elsewhere. So, so that was good. So it was great to see Micah um, there again. And um, yeah, and and the other thing that impressed me about his talk, um, even though he was representing Oxbow, um, he 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 said little about um, their particular, if anything, about their products there, and, and stuck to the stuck to the the science there of his particular topic. So so well done, Micah. And, and uh, I don't think I'm revealing too much about the count of the Toady Award. You've already highlighted that, and I can't reveal too much because you did it and I had nothing to do with it. But um, if I remember correctly, Michael was like in the running for that second place. He did an excellent presentation. 
Yes, yes, he was. So, yeah, yeah, he was good. So the next one you want to... Well, the next one wasn't a single presentation. I just wanted to point out a practice, a veterinary practice in Australia um, that managed to have, if I'm not mistaken, every single vet in that practice presented at this conference, either in the um, UPAV section or in the AAVA. AC uh, section and um, so a big shout out to uh, the Brisbane Birds and Exotic Vet uh, Veterinary Hospital, um, Deb Monk's practice in Brisbane. Um, it is a measure of first of all the standard of practice they have there at BBEVS and um, and also a credit to uh, Deb as the practice leader to, it's a difficult thing for a practitioner to organise for their entire staff um, to, the, uh, to, to make the effort to do those excellent presentations. So all credit to all of them, I reckon. And they, their presentations, as is typical, um, uh, were clearly clinically relevant. They were not theoretical type things. They were um, useful clinical cases or clinical reviews that, um, yeah, I, I felt that was uh, worth mentioning. Yes, most definitely, Mark, most definitely. As were the lab sessions. So on, on the Wednesday midweek, there were a number of lab or practical sessions that um, were available there and, um I ended up helping out with one of those that Lauren um, was in, was was running, which was a rabbit nasal cavity and ear surgery, and that was a fantastic um, lad there. And I think all the all the delegates some um, that attended that had a fantastic time. But the other ones that were running were the avian orthopedics um, that Shanksy um, um, ran, avian endoscopy um, by Lorenzo Crosta, and um, I think the final one, Mark, was the. Chelonian ciliotomies that um, that Lauren run in the morning. So she did one lab in the morning and ran another one in the afternoon. Brendan, those labs, they've, haven't yeah. they grown to be? Look, I, I am the in Australia here. I would say that we are we're, we're pretty laid back, but we just accept regulation. When people say to us, "Oh, you can't do that here," we go, oh, "Okay, well, if you can't do that there, we'll do it somewhere else." But um, our uh, our conference centres have been so accommodating with these uh, wet labs and they really are a unique opportunity, I reckon, um, to, uh, and while I wasn't there for these ones, I've been attending the wet labs over the last few years at the last few conferences and they give it a unique opportunity to like put your hands in and to get a feel for these things. I know um, when I was first starting out and trying to learn these things, you'd read, you'd listen to someone talk, but then actually doing it was like a step too far. But these, um, the wet labs and uh, having experienced practitioners stand next to you and point out the, the potential pitfalls and have uh, cadavers there to work on, I reckon it's a real highlight for the week. Uh, I, I, I think they'll be a... A firm fixture in the the um in the program in the future, and I know that um we're all, the the uh, UPAV management committee and conference organisers are always looking to improve those and make them more relevant for clinical practitioners. So, um, uh, any ideas? We're always happy to pass those on, aren't we, Brendan? If they if people have an idea for a wet lab, and uh, we can pass definitely, them on. absolutely. And usually what happens is if somebody has an idea for it, they end up being <laughs> the, you know, that. for that. That's so what happens, just bear that in mind. Um, know that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
the truth comes out, Mark. The truth comes out. Um, the next one I want to mention is Lizzie Selby and her um, excellent summary um, or update on rabbit Khaleesi Lizzie's virus. fast becoming the go-to person for the cut, the most current up-to-date. And this sort of like, it's almost like a sea, a swamp, the Khaleesi virus story. Every couple of weeks, there's a new story on the Facebook rabbit pages. And uh, Lizzie, you are quite correct. Just nailed it with that presentation. Yes, that was fantastic. And I think she um, managed to score a few votes in the Toady Award as well. And I think that's a good introduction to the other the other um, update that's done now annually, Mark. And you wanted to chat oh, about that one um, on I our I do, rectop. I do. I love um, – I really look forward to um, uh, Tim's presentation, which has become uh, a, a sort of a, a regular feature. And the work that he does changes so um, – so much each 12 months um, that his updates are always uh, um, uh, enlightening. And um, and the other thing I find fascinating about them is the way that Tim draws together the community of UPAV as a resource and then feeds the information back in, you know, um, the DNA techniques that he has um, to identify these viruses, um, uh, the way that he has made such huge steps in such a relatively short period of time in uh, contributing to the virology of reptiles, um, this all gets brought back to be clinically relevant. And I was particularly obviously interested in the bearded dragon iridovirus story, which um, uh, originated at our hospital and uh, uh, Dr... Um, Dr. Jonathan, who did a lot of the the um, the uh, uh, the work with the clients that had the lizards, uh, Dr. Jonathan Howard, he's not with us anymore. Still works in Newcastle, but uh, he did an outstanding amount of work and uh, worked with uh, Tim to uh, to do a lot of the the clinical stuff on the lizards that had that virus. And it was just uh, like a full circle thing, Brendan. You uh, see the case, you hear, yes. do the discussion with Jonathan in the hospital and then see it in a presentation. It's a, it's a well, it's one of the things I reckon we don't celebrate enough in clinical practice that um, it does take an extra effort, but geez, to contribute to that scientific process, to take the cases, the exciting and different cases we see and, contribute to them and then see them in presentations at a conference like this, geez, it has to be one of the most gratifying things that you can do in your professional life. Yes. So that was Tim Hindman, who's one of the experts in reptile viruses in the world. Yeah. Um, I've just got to point out quickly here that Tim is an expert on reptile viruses, but he's no expert on finding them. He travelled to um, South Australia um, early to see if he could get a view of, I think it was the King Island tiger snake, those black um, tiger snakes, um, and he spent a whole day traipsing around trying to find one. That's right. He did report that. Um, and I must admit, of that they are beautiful animals. The King Island tiger snakes, aren't they, Mark? Um, one of the reptile parts that I've dealt with um, for many years has has um, several on them, and they're, they're just big fat <laughs> slugs, exactly. aren't they? Um, they're just very placid animals, beautiful sheen on them, um, and and yeah, I. 
they're one of my favourite um, venomous species, if if that's a possibility. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, he did mention he did talk about that story in his in his um, presentation, didn't he? That he spent all day trying to find them and he couldn't find them on the and went there specifically to see that particular species. Um, but yeah, that so that's Tim Heinemann, and um, yeah, he's he's. Uh, He's the person who isolated the sunshine virus um, and, and some of the other viruses that we see in, in reptiles. So, yeah, that was fantastic. Um, um, one of the other ones I'd like to mention, Mark, um, we're probably getting close to where we should stop. And I know it's just been a bit of a a pick list here of some of the presentations is um, is our um, long-time friend um, James Harris. Um, and James Harris gave a little case presentation of a rare tumour in a pet rat. And the reason why I wanted to mention James Harris is he was our dinner guest speaker um, at the conference dinner. Um, he, he was the he was the speaker at the dinner who didn't have um, a uh, horrible um, sunburn and also who managed <laughs> to finish their, um, their, their, uh, their dinner speech without slurring and mumbling at the end of it. Oh no, you you downplay yourself there, Mark. You weren't you weren't that bad. Um and, and um yeah, once you fainted on the floor and they picked you up and, and, and took you to your room, you were fine the next day. Um yeah, so James Harris, who's a bit of a legend in the exotic pet world, and I know a lot of um listeners worldwide will know James and he routinely travels overseas, um, even at his advanced age that he has, and um you can't cannot mistake James when he when he um, stands up or or falls asleep in, in a um, in a lecture theater because his his voice sort of cuts through the air and um, his um, talk his summary of his his life and how he how he ended up um, settling in in Tasmania here in Australia was um, was fantastic and we were fortunate enough um, to sit down with James, um, you and I, Mark, and we recorded James, and um, he will be one of the specials that we'll have in our podcast over the next few weeks, an interview with James and a little bit more in-depth discussion about um, how we got where he is and how he uh, managed to to um, be awarded an Order of Australia medal um, for his services to wildlife. I've got a quick story to tell you about, James. It happened after you left, I think, Brendan. Um, there was a meeting which was trying, the AAVAC meeting was trying to decide where they would have their their um, conferences for several years into the future, and it was, um, it was mooted that a return to Tasmania would be a good thing. Um, so the uh, chair of the meeting sung out to James and said, "Would you be able to? Um, would you be able to host that? Would, would you? Would you be up for um, running that again?" And James, without missing a beat, said, "If I'm alive, then I will." <laughs> yeah. Yes. No. He he plugs away, and it will be an extremely sad day. Um, when when we don't have James anymore, but um, yeah, I'd um, hopefully that's many many years in the future, Mark. Um, yeah, and um, he always says that he um, he's never worked a day in his life because he he loves his work and um, the um, and he talks a bit about this in in our interview with him. But um, he he still gets up at the crack of dawn and um, has his little farm and he and he treats and feeds all the animals and then he heads off to his clinic. He's a He's a he's a he's a living legend, old, old um, James Harris. So um, yeah, look look forward to um, 
publish in that um, podcast of the interview with Jane's, and it, it's one not to be missed. Um, was there any others you wanted to mention? Maybe oh, one this one isn't a, um, a specific about. talk, but I did want to um, just give a sing out to um, so, to someone whose surname I struggled to pronounce, Brendan, um, uh, um, Dr. Todd Driggers. Um, Todd uh, did a number of presentations um, uh, during the UPAV conference, and um, and he travelled from uh, from uh, was it was it uh, he's Phoenix is he on the outskirts of Phoenix? Yeah, Arizona. Um, yes, and, um, yes. And so he was one of our American guests, and um, and I was it was re- a real um, uh, pleasure to hear his perspective on practice from um, uh, from a different part of the world, treating those animals and the things that he focused on, and um, the you could just tell his passion, particularly for the reptiles. But um, I really enjoyed uh, Todd's presentations, and I, I just wanted to hang that one out there too. Yes, and hi to Todd if he listens. And um, why if you're not, you <laughs> if, I mean, if you're not listening, Todd, and I, I and I and I did manage to catch up with Todd a couple of times, and yeah, he was lovely. And um, um, I think if I'm ever in that area of of, of um, the US, then I'll try and um, try and um, drop in on him, um, probably unannounced, um, to see him. But yeah, he he was lovely, so it was great to great to meet some new people as usual at the conference. So, and as as you and I know, Mark, we always love the social aspect of it. It's probably the main reason why I go to these conferences to catch up with colleagues and. Um, um, feel the love in the room, Mark. I reckon, and, and my, I, you and I have a very similar philosophy, I think, here. And, uh, and I think that, um, I love the little gems. I always, you know, there's probably four or five little gems in a good conference like the UPAV one. There's, there's those things that you take back. And no matter how long you've been in practice, if you're, attentive and listening you will pick up those things from those other practitioners but there's no doubt i reckon that the true strength of the upav conference is the um Mm. is the whole um collegiality thing it's part of that like the infrastructure you build around you as a professional person that supports you in the hard times and and i i i find those colleagues that you and i have brendan in in upav they're they're my tribe they're the people that uh, see the world the same way I do, and and when things go wrong, they're the people who I probably turn to first to um to help me through to blame. That's right, to blame your head amongst them, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, Mark, I think we should go, and um, we look forward to giving you the Christmas special next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Vet Gurus.